Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Thank you for that song. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Romans. Romans and chapter number eight. The book of Romans and chapter number eight. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you. And uh, we would encourage you to pick up that copy of God's Word and follow along with us as we study together. And in fact, if you don't have a copy of God's Word at all, that would be our gift to you. We would love for you to take that with you as you go from this place. We believe there's nothing more important than having a copy of God's Word in your hand, in your home, and in your heart. And uh, we would want you to take that with you. We are working our way through uh, the book of Romans. And Romans is a study that we began at the early part of this year. And our Bible preaching and teaching method here at First Baptist Church is simply to go next chapter and next verse. And that's brought us all the way to Romans chapter number 8. And we are in a, uh, a chapter, a, a study of this chapter that we're calling Life in the Spirit. And we're calling it that because of how many times in this chapter the Apostle Paul tells us what is ours through the Spirit. The benefit that is offered to you and to me as believers because of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. So if you found your place, Romans, big number eight, that's called a chapter, and then verse number nine, that's the tiny number, okay? Romans chapter eight, verse nine. Let's stand together, if you're willing and able, out of respect for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter eight, verse number nine. This chapter began with one of the greatest declarations over the life of the believer. It began in verse number one. There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So everything in Romans 7 was Paul going, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. Anybody in the room ever struggle? Paul says, I'm struggling. Now what do I do with all this struggle? What do I do with all this guilt? What do I do with all this regret? There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then he says at the end, we studied this last week, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, that there is a way in which the Spirit operates in the life of the believer that leads the Spirit to please God. But that when we operate according to the mentality of the flesh... We operate according to the way we used to, do the things that the world pulls us toward, and that those that are in the flesh cannot please God. But those that are in the Spirit walk in the Spirit. Those that are in the Spirit, we can please God because we're walking in the Spirit. This is a wonderful truth that we walk in the Spirit internally, It's not something that we manufacture outwardly. We walk in the Spirit internally, but we also walk in the Spirit intentionally, that we choose to go after the Spirit. Get up and go after the Spirit of God, right? That's what he's telling us to do. Look at verse number 9. Verse number 9. We're going to read verse 9 down to verse 11. We'll hang out there, all right? Verse number 9. But ye are not... In the flesh. Okay, so there's 
There's something very important that he just did. They that are in the flesh, they that are in the flesh, they that are in the flesh, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, verse 8. But, but ye, it's a, it's a really good southern word for that word ye, it's the word y'all, okay? But y'all, or if you're, if you're, if you're northern, but, but yous, okay? But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Okay, so that, that dwell in you is going to be very important because he's going to repeat that over and over. And how many of you know, God is not like a frustrated parent. He doesn't repeat himself for no reason, right? But, but, but the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if, the, and, if, and if Christ be in you, there it is again, in you, within the body is dead because of sin. But if the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, well, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Why, why can the believer please God? Why is there no condemnation over the life of the believer? Why? Here it is. Because the spirit of God dwells in you. Because the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Spirit of God dwells in you, well then you are not your own, you are His. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, when you're not your own, you're, you're His. You, you thinking biblically right now? Letting your mind wander? What? Know ye not? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, which was bought by Christ. You are not your own. You belong to Christ. He dwells, he dwells in you. And when Christ is in you, you walk after the things of God. Why? Because God dwells in you by his spirit. So what happens with our, our second son, Ethan. He's right here in the front row. He's a good young man. He's on the front row of church. Our second son, more than any of our other children, when Ethan was born, I mean, as soon as I looked at his face, I thought, oh, that poor kid. He looks just like me. And his, his whole growing up, People are like, oh, I mean, the other kids resemble you, Dave, but that one? Now that one's you right there. He is your mini you, right? He's a little mini me, right? That one is you. He, he looks like you. As he's grown, nothing's changed. He, look, you want to know what Ethan looks like when he gets to be mature? It's a beautiful face right here. 
Why? Because my DNA is in him. See, this is, this is what it means for the Spirit of God to dwell in you as a believer. If he's in you, if he dwells in you, well, then he leads you to live a life that pleases God. And he leads you to a place of no condemnation. Listen, he keeps you. See, if he's in you, well, then you belong to him. You belong to God. Because he's put himself in you. Now, what does it mean then to belong to God? What does it mean? It's the benefit of belonging to God. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Verse number nine, the Apostle Paul starts out by saying, but ye are not in the flesh. So it's not simply a grammatical distinction that he's making. He's making a theological distinction. Because those that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's verse number eight. I want you to see it. Verse eight. So then they that are in the flesh, well, they cannot please God. But ye, so he's, there's a, there's a distinction. There's something different now. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. What it does not mean, it does not mean that those who do not have the spirit of God in them, does not mean that those who are not believers... It does not mean that they cannot attempt to do good things. And it does not mean that all of their good things are wrong. But what it means is that at the core of humanity, there is an anti-God biasness. At the root of who we are, and this operates on several levels. Paul's already argued this, chapter one, chapter two. At, at several levels, there's this hostility that we have toward God. And we have this hostility toward God because of sin. And this sin affects us in multiple levels. Emotionally, it affects us. It, it affects our affections. It, it affects our thinking, our minds. It affects our decision-making, our wills. It even affects our heart, our feelings. It, because the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9. It, it, there's this hostility in us because, because of, of our sin in our lives. But ye, Paul says, ye are not like that. But, but there's not this hostility in you like there was this hostility in them. Why? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so, so for you and me as believers, there is not a hostility toward God. Why? Because the Spirit of God has taken up residence in our lives. You, that's what he's saying, you are not like that. Why? Look at verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh. That's not our position. Now notice. But in the Spirit. Okay, so you are in the spirit. That's what he says. 
So as a believer, you're not simply operating in the flesh, but you as a believer are operating in the spirit. You are in the spirit. That's what he says later on. The next line down, the spirit of God. And later on, the spirit of Christ. The next line, the, the spirit of life. Later on in the chapter, the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, why does he keep mentioning different spirits? Are these all different spirits? No. It's all synonymous with one. What is it? The Spirit of God. He, he's simply pointing out all the, the interplay of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the life of the believer. This is why we are Trinitarian. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are inseparable in their work in the life of the believer. They're eternally distinct. They're completely different persons, but they are also one in the same. They are united in their work. And this is what he's, this is what he's driving at. This is what he's right. How do we know we belong to God? Because of the reality, that's number one, the reality of the Spirit's presence in our lives. The reality of the Spirit's presence in our lives. That what God the Father planned from all of eternity, God the Son accomplished on the cross in time, and God the Spirit has applied to the life of the believer. That what God the Father planned for all of eternity, God the Son accomplished on the cross in time, and God the Spirit applies to the heart of the believer. So here's what he says. You, as a believer, you are in the Spirit. You are in the Spirit. But listen to this. And the Spirit is in you. Look what he says, verse number 9. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So you are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you. So this is, this is what it means to belong to God. That you are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you, and you belong to God, and the Spirit belongs to you. Why? Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And Christianity is not simply a new set of beliefs. It's not simply new behavior. Certainly, there's a new set of beliefs that you're given when you become a Christian. And it's certainly that there's new behavior that is evidenced in your life or your attitude or your affections once you become a believer. But genuine Christianity is to say, I belong to God. And God belongs to me through the work of the Holy Spirit that has indwelled my life. Notice what he says at the end of verse 9. I want you to see the verse. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, well, he is none of his. Okay, so, so the reverse is true as well. Paul is stating it negatively. We could state it positively. If you are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in you, well, then you belong to God because of the Spirit of God in your heart and in your life. If you are a believer, well, you belong to God. There's all kinds of metaphors for this in the Bible. 
Let me give you a few of them. First, there's the, there's the image that Paul gives us in Corinthians where he talks about that we are the body of Christ. That we are the body of Christ. That there's no member of your body that is removed from your own body. Your finger doesn't get to decide that it no longer wants to be a part of your body and it would like to be a part of that person's body. You don't wake up in the morning and your finger look at you and go, no thanks, dude. I want to go live over there and just detach itself and hop along the little platform and then join someone else. This doesn't happen. Why? Because this is, this is your body. And Paul's re- he's making the same comparison. You are the body of Christ. And just like your body serves its purpose and it, it, the members of your body serve its purpose inside of your body, so it is with Christ. We are a part of his body. And Paul uses another example when he gives the example of marriage. In the same way in which a a husband gives himself to his wife and a wife gives herself to her husband. So So the husband is serving her. He's seen to her flourishing. He's protecting. He's nurturing. He's providing. She's reverencing, honoring, and submitting to him. And so the way in which they serve each other, Paul says at the end of Ephesians, so it is that this is actually a picture of Christ and you as a believer. He says, I'm not actually talking about marriage. I'm talking about faith in Christ. I'm not actually talking about marriage. I'm actually talking about Christianity. And when you took your wedding vows, you came into a church or met at an altar and and the, and the two of you stood in front of one another and before the vows, before the ceremony, you belonged only to yourself. And then once you took your vows and once you became married and once you exchanged rings and once you took a part of this ceremony, what happened? You were saying, I no longer belong to myself. I belong to her. She belongs to me. And then you, we word all this wonderful language through it, right? For better or worse. And everyone assumes it will be better, but it's often for worse. For richer, for poorer. And everyone assumes it will be richer. He promises he'll be rich. He knows this deal is going to put us over the top. But often it's for poorer, right? In sickness and in health. I mean, he's all big and buff. He has abs when you get married. And then you're married for 10 years. And it's been a long time since you've seen abs anywhere and there. It's, you're giving yourself to this person in marriage so that once you walk out of the back door, what are you saying? You're saying, I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to her. And, and, and she doesn't belong to herself anymore. She belongs to me. We belong with each other. We belong together. Paul says that, that gift of marriage is actually a picture of what it means to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you as a believer. And Paul makes a, another example the same way, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
You enter the military, you can have whatever haircut you want. You enter the military, you can do as few of push-ups as you want. You enter the military, you can walk however you want, you can talk however you want, but once you enter the military, guess what? You walk the way the drill instructor tells you to walk, and you cut your hair the way the drill instructor tells you to cut your hair. And you eat the food the way the drill instructor tells you to eat the food. And you walk in line the way he tells you to walk in line. Why? Because you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to the United States military. You're not your own. You're not your own. Paul says all of these, he gives, he has so many other images. Those are three. He gives so many other images of the way in which he helps us understand this truth. You are in the spirit and the spirit is in you. And when you became a believer, you, 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 you pledged your faith to him. And same way in which you pledged your vows to this person in marriage, you, you are his and he is yours. You are in him and he is in you. And in this way, you belong to God. So that the Christian has been put on an entirely different relationship with God. Why? Because of the Spirit of God in your life. The Christian has been put on an entirely different relationship with God. Why? Because of the Spirit of God in your life. In fact, you'll see that all the way through this text. He talks of sons and heirs and God as our Father. All of these are relational terms. The way in which we see God and the way in which God sees us. So that God does not see us, like in Romans 1, as objects of wrath. So God does not see us in Romans 1 as objects of wrath who go after our own God, but God sees us as his children and God loves us as his son and God has promised us to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ because of the work that Christ accomplished on the cross in time and because of the application of Christ's work to our hearts and our lives as believers through the Holy Spirit of God. In the early days of the founding of the West, there was an act passed that was called the Homestead Act. You could claim land in the West by simply arriving to a certain location, placing down stakes, fencing off your territory, building a house, and then begin to live there. And in arriving first, building a home, and fencing off stakes, you could say, this land belongs to me. And you, you begin to work the field, you begin to build a home in that place, you begin to manufacture a life there. And as a result, because the West was unsettled, the, the government said, okay, that, that land belongs to you because you've lived there. How many of you would like that other than the mortgage that you currently have right now, right? You just take ownership by possession. You, 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 you take ownership by residence. You take ownership by simply occupying the land. You could get land in the West in the early days. Some of you remember those days. You could get land in the West in the early days by occupying 
or you could get land in the West by purchasing it. You could go down and say, here's the land I want. This is the territory I have, and I'm buying it as my own. You purchased it, or you took up residence on it. Okay, so now don't, don't think land. Think your faith in Christ and Christ's work in you. Second Corinthians, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, which is in you, which, which, which ye have of God? For ye are not your own. Listen, you were bought with a price. So, so therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit because they're God's. He bought you when he went to the cross and he died for you in your sin. And then he purchased you. He paid the down payment. He wrote the mortgage check. He said, you are mine. I'm paying your debt. And then he took up residence in your heart. So you belong to God because you were purchased by his son and because he homesteaded you. He lives in you through his spirit, you belong to him. He did both. He lives in you and he bought you. You belong to him. Now, isn't that a wonderful thought? What happens when you become a believer? At the time that you place your faith and trust in Christ, at the time of what we would call salvation, the Holy Spirit immediately takes up residence in you. And that is why there is such a dramatic change in the life of the believer. The song says, now I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me. You hear that? No, no, no. I'm his and he's mine. And we belong together. And now I belong to Jesus. And Jesus belongs to me. How did that happen? According to the eternal plan of God in eternity, because of what Christ's work accomplished for us on the cross in time, and because of what the Holy Spirit of God applied to your heart the moment that you placed your faith in the eternal work of God on your behalf. The distinguishing feature of the believer then is not, well, I go to First Baptist and I, and I, I sing songs and I pray and I read the Bible. Well, I'm glad you do. And we're thankful that you do attend here. But the distinguishing feature in the life of the believer is not attendance or spiritual disciplines, the distinguishing feature in the life of the believer is you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to you. And this happens because of the Spirit of God in you. That's why you are as weird as you are. It's not the church's fault. It's the Spirit of God took up residence in you. Stop blaming us. It's Him. It's him and it's his work in you because you're in him and you belong to each other. A simpler illustration. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that you were once in darkness but now in light. So live as children of the light. 
He says, you used to be on that team and now you're on this team. And the way you went from that team to this team was not your religiousness. It was not your good works. It was not your morality. It was not your civility. It was not the feeding of the poor. It was not your church attendance or the giving of offerings. All of those things are great, but, but that's not what caused you to change teams. Why you changed teams was because Christ purchased you on the cross when he died for your sin and he rose victoriously from the grave and then the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life so that he homesteaded you and now you belong to him. You changed teams. You don't play for the same team you used to play for anymore. Why? Because you belong to team God. That's why. A lot of people changing teams nowadays. Exciting around Los Angeles. All the Excitement of the new team that the Lakers have, the new team that the Clippers have, should be interesting. This is, this is, this is what you know. And when next season begins, there'll be people playing on a different team. Won't be wearing the color that they used to. Won't be representing the team that they used to. Won't be in the same arenas that they used to. Why? Because they're playing for a new team and they better hope that it's the purple and the gold. Just leave that there. Can you be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit? No. Because to be a Christian means you have the Holy Spirit. So it would be impossible to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You are in the Spirit if the Spirit be, if the Spirit of God be in you. You are in the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Look at verse number nine. It's impossible. And if the Spirit of God is not in you, he says, well, then you're not his. You don't belong to him. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Listen, the Holy Spirit does not live out there somewhere. The Holy Spirit does not live in here somewhere. You don't go chase him. It's not some emotional event that you're after. You don't just feel for him. It's not some supernatural, external thing, experience that you must have. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Listen, you are the home of the Holy Spirit of God. You are. That's what he's saying. Ephesians chapter number one. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an illustration. And admittedly, every time an illustration is given, there's always a point of weakness in the illustration somewhere. But when Amanda and I gave ourselves to each other in marriage, we signified the giving. We, we, we confirmed the giving of ourselves to each other. We validated the giving of ourselves to each other by the exchanging of wedding bands. It was the sealing of the vow that we made. So I took the ring and I slid it onto her finger and it was a seal. So that when she walked out of those doors, people looked at us, oh man, I wonder, I wonder if she would be interested in me. No, it was sealed. It was confirmed. It was stamped. 
It, it, it was, it's, an, it's, a, it's a sign, and insignia to all the world. Hey, she belongs to me. Look at the ring on her finger. I belong to her. Why? Because look at the ring on my finger, right? So we belong to each other. And in the same way, the way you're evidence that you belong to God is that the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. So if the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, well, then you are none of His. It's the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. When you trusted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God came into your life, caused you to belong to God, and that belonging to God changed your desire. It changed your direction. It changed your destiny. It changed your thinking. It changed your identity. Does that describe you this morning? Does that describe you this morning? It's the reality of his presence in our life. Number two, it's the result of his presence. It's the result of his presence. So there's, what he's going to argue in verse 10 and verse 11 is there's this certain amount of security that comes from identity. So the identity that the Holy Spirit of God lives in me and I'm in him. There's a certain amount of security that comes from that identity. You should write that down. You'll want to remember it later. There's a certain amount of security that comes from identity. And the identity is I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I belong to him. That's the identity. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me through the, whole, through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. That's my identity. And there's a, there's a certain security that comes from that identity. Listen, I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. My children, when they were small... I, I, I told the secretary of the church, if my kids ever want to come and see dad, they're allowed to come into the office. Don't stop my kids from coming into the office because they're my kids, I'm their dad, and if they want to come in, they can come in. She said, well, what if you're studying? It doesn't matter. It's open door. They can come on in. Oh, well, what if you're in a meeting with someone? It doesn't matter. They're my kids. They can come on in, Right? How many times is a sitting across the desk, doing some counseling, some studying, some working, some, uh, some researching, right? And all of a sudden, man, boom, the door opens. And here comes the six-year-old Gabriel. And here comes four-year-old Ethan in the office. Dad, 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 can I have some candy? <laughs> Why did they feel so secure to walk into the office which wasn't theirs, of which the door was closed. Because there's, there's an identity that provided security. He said, that's my dad, and that's his office, and I'm his son. Don't believe me? Just look at his face and look at my face. And he is mine, and I am his. And if I want to go in there, well, then I'm going in. Boom, they go into the room, right? There's a certain measure of security that comes from, flows out of identity. This is what Paul's arguing in this chapter. Paul's arguing that when you know that you're his and you know he's yours, when you know that you belong to Jesus and you know that Jesus belongs to you, well, then there's this, there's this certain result that happens in your life and that result increases your security. That result increases your strength. That result gives you eyes to see what you could know, not otherwise see. Why? Because you're secure in the identity that you have now in Christ. Look at verse 10. 
And if Christ be in you, well, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, well, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also, you should circle that phrase, shall also quicken your mortal bodies by, this, by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So here's what Paul is saying. Are you ready to die? Well, that got your attention really fast, didn't it? Some of you were nodding, and then I say, what? Are you ready to die? Because the body is indeed dead because of sin. That you are dying. This is the great reality of humanity. It's what Benjamin Franklin said were the two certainties in life. Death and taxes. Maybe death by taxes. It's the fact of our humanity. The fact of our humanity is our morality. Paul says later, outwardly we perish. We're wasting away. You aren't as strong as you used to be. You aren't as young as you used to be. You aren't as spry as you used to be. Can I get a witness on that point right there? If you need a reminder of that, just look in the mirror. Or or get a wife. I don't know how to know. She'll tell you quickly. You aren't as young as you used to be. It takes, takes more Advil to make it through the day. You, you, go to, you go to the pharmacy and you go down aisles and you look for medicine that 10 years ago you said, there's no way anybody needs this stuff. And now you're like, I need something on my elbow. I need something wrapped around my knee. I need something to take care of the back. I need an ice pack for the ankle. You're buying things that you that's so foreign. And now you need them all just to make, through, make it through the day. Outwardly, we perish. The body is fading away. Why? Because of sin. That when sin entered the world, sin broke the world. And when sin entered the equation of the world, it brought with it death. For the wages of sin is death. And we've all sinned. So we all outwardly perish. We all outwardly fade away. We all share, believer and unbeliever, spirit and flesh, we all share in the mortality of our own human frame. That although your body is still dead or dying, the spirit, he says, is life because of righteousness. So we're dead to sin, and we're dead because of sin, and we're dead as a result of sin, And we are dying and it's showing itself out in the mortality of our bodies. We perish, but the spirit is life. So while we are dead because of sin, we are alive because of the spirit. That's what he says. The spirit is, look at it, verse 10. The spirit is life. I need you to see it so you don't just take my word. Look look at the word. The spirit is life because of righteousness. 
It means that at redemption, God accomplished for us by Christ. And then he applied that life to us by way of his spirit. And as a result of that, we view our mortality not with morbidity. We, 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 we view our mortality not with a sense of fatalism. We view our mortality with reality. We say, of course we're dying because of sin. Sin broke the world. That's why death entered the equation. This wasn't part of God's plan. This wasn't part of God's purpose. This is a result of sin. This is how awful sin is. And at the same time, we believe that we will not just live forever spiritually, but that we will live forever physically. That's what he's arguing in this text. And if the, look at verse, look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, well then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive your mortal bodies by a spirit which dwelleth in you. As believers, we do not simply believe in the immortality of the soul. We believe in the resurrection of the body. That the same bodies that we possess will be made alive in the resurrection. Only there will be one qualitative difference. And here is the qualitative difference. That God promises us that in the resurrection, we will be better than our best here. That in the resurrection, we will be better than our best here. Why? Because this mortality shall put on immortality. Because this corruption shall put on incorruption. Because God has promised it to be so. I talked this past week to a mother who three weeks ago buried her nine-year-old son. She's a Christian lady. She's a believer. Nine-year-old son. What do we say as believers to that kind of pain? What do we say to that kind of tragedy? Do we deny it? Do we deny that pain exists in those moments? Do we, do we deny that hurt and grief exist? Or we sorrow? We sorrow. We weep. We only sorrow not as those which have no hope. And Christ in you, that is the hope of glory. So as believers, we don't deny it. She said, I just need to get over it. And I said, what do you mean get over it? How could you ever get over that? She goes, well, that's what they told me. I just had to get over and get past it. I said, I don't know who told you, but that's not true according to the Bible. 
No, we grieve, we hurt, we mourn. And there are some things in life that we never get over. We just limp our way into eternity with. We're going to embrace the idea that as believers, we should never feel. As believers, we should never hurt. As believers, we should never have pain. Absolutely not. So what should we do then? We should bow down before God, who in his grace and in his mercy, he's made himself known in the wonders of his universe, in the truth of his word, in the person of his son. And we should ask him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that is give us eternal life with him in heaven. Now, one day, friend, one day, everything that life has stolen away from you, God will restore a hundredfold. There is not one bit of you as a believer that will end up in the trash can of the universe except your sin, and you don't want your sin anyway. If Christ be in you, well then the Spirit is life. So who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? If you are a believer, the Bible says that the Spirit of God is in you and you belong to Him. So here we sit with the Spirit of God inside of us, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Christ, taking up residence in our lives, giving us a new disposition. Why? Because of grace through faith. It's, it's miraculous in the end. And we'll, we have been made new and we will be made new. See the benefit of the, of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. There's the reality of his presence. There's the result of his presence, which gives strength and hope and promise and joy that no matter what, Life brings your way. Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. And there is nothing that can take that away. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. No, 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 brothers, no sisters. There's nothing in this world that can separate you from the love that God has showed you through Christ and that God has put in you because of his spirit. You belong to God. That's my identity. That's who I am. That's what he's making, that's what he's making new in me that offers to you 
a security in him. That identity provides security because of him.